Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Classroom Matters podcast with me, your host, Christy Hool. And on today's episode, I am so excited to have with me Julius B. Anthony. He is the president and founder of the St. Louis Black Authors of Children's Literature and the Belief Projects. In this organization, they are committed to fostering awareness about the importance of early literacy by creating innovative opportunities for all kids to have access to Black children's literature. Julius has also published a book called Me, 10 Poetic Affirmations, which was written to encourage and motivate children to achieve their highest dreams. Julius, we are going to dive into all of this and so much more in this episode. How are you today? I am doing fantastic, and I'm excited to be on this podcast with you, Christy. Thank you yeah. for inviting us. You're, you're so welcome. So Julius and I were just talking before we started um, about the weather. It's, it's awful here. <laughs> As many of you know, we're based in St. Louis, and it has been thunderstorming all night. It's still pouring down rain where we are. Um, we're on the other side of St. Louis and Illinois, um, but I'm assuming you're right in the heart of it too, Julia. So I don't know. It's just been awful here. Oh yeah. It was thunderstorming all night. Um, none of us could really sleep and it actually is still really raining hard out right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you, did your family have a difficult time like sleeping when it thunderstorms or are you guys like the, the kind of people that are just like, uh, you're just like out and you're dead to the world, no matter what the weather is? Well, I am my own family, so <laughs> so I'm single and I live alone. And yes, and trust me, I'm out even when it's thunderstorming. So yeah, I sleep sound. <laughs> well, good for you, as we were all up at two, three, four in the morning. But hey, my phone kept dinging because you know you get those weather warnings whenever it's like really bad weather. And the emergency was saying, you know, don't go out and drive because the weather was really bad and the flooding could really be bad for anybody mm -hmm. that was out driving. So that kept waking me up. But other than that, I slept through it. Well, you know, it must be really bad out there because the local university here, it actually just canceled classes and said they wanted um, uh, the students to do remote learning today. So I, I didn't realize it was that bad out there, but it must be yeah. if, if schools are, are shutting down for the day. So, all right. So St. Louis Black Authors of Children's Literature, president and founder. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about one, that organization, but also within that, your background and sort of your journey into creating um, that organization. Sure. So I'm a native St. Louisan, um, educator by trade, by formal training as well. I have been in education for about 25 years now, um, have primarily worked in the early childhood and elementary education space, but have worked always in K-12. Um, so I've done everything from being a first grade teacher, which was my favorite job, and honestly, if I could only do that all my life for the rest of my life, that's what I would choose to do. That was the most favorite thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but I've done that, um, have been a school principal, started a school, a city academy, um, which is a private school in our city, have done that, have been an assistant superintendent, have um, taught at the junior college level. So I've done a lot in education have primarily worked in communities that serve Black children. 
and Black children at all economic levels, actually. Um, Black children who live in abject poverty and Black children who you might consider come from middle income or upper uh, income families. And at every level, what I've discovered in my career is that Black children struggle with schooling. They not only struggle with schooling, they struggle with the core idea of what we think about in schooling in terms of learning. And in schooling, as educators, we think that um, literacy is the basis for all learning. And if you can't access literacy and reading, then you tend not to do well in school. And it's unfortunate. Black children, Latinx children, indigenous children have the hardest time accessing those skills, that pathway, and what we have designed in America around schooling. And so that basically was what I discovered as an educator, as a professional, and that sort of led me toward this journey of where I am today. Now, there's a lot of experiences that I've had along that journey, and I, I don't want to take up the whole podcast talking about all of those experiences, but in a nutshell, there were several experiences that led to the Believe Project. But essentially, the whole core idea, it, it really comes from my experience as a student growing up in um, North City, St. Louis, attending a St. Louis public school in a community that would be considered um, a high poverty community, um, going to a school that primarily served Black children, attending a high school that was very diverse, but before attending that high school, I attended Metro High School in St. Louis, that's a thing, what high school you went to. Um, but before I went to that high school, um, we were told, those of us at the grade school that I went to, Dunbar Elementary School, that basically no one from Dunbar could would be able to make it at a school like Metro because of the community we were living in and growing up in. And so I was the first student from Dunbar who attended Metro High School. So just those experiences, and then being able to go to Metro High School, did well, graduated in the top five of my class, went on to Howard University, was the first person that graduated from Metro High School. And by the way, Metro High School is the top high school in the state of Missouri, has always been since its inception. I want to throw that in there and always rank in the top 100, um, according to U.S. News and World Report, in terms of high schools in this country. Um, but left there and went on to Howard University. And I was the first Metro graduate to attend a historically Black college and university. And so that shaped my thinking as well and went on to graduate school at Clark Atlanta University and was introduced to a lot of Black educational thought leaders. Um, and through that knowledge, through that education, really helped me to understand the history of how Black children had been schooled in this country. And yeah. all of that information and other experiences, the experiences of the adults that helped shape who I became as a kid. And those adults were primarily the Black migrants that migrated from the Jim Crow South to St. Louis as a destination city. Those were the people that raised me. 
in that neighborhood in St. Louis. My parents were part of that migration. So all of those things mixed in a bowl, <laughs> you know, kind of shaped my thinking and led to this idea that's called the Believe Projects and St. Louis Black Authors of Children's Literature. And so here we are today, living out the manifestation of all of those things, trying to raise a new hope and light in what we believe um, in how Black children must be educated and must have access to literacy and learning and a way of thriving in this country and in life. So this is something that runs really, really deep into your core of essentially who you are, right? This isn't just something that you started teaching and realized in your educational career that, oh gosh, I don't have access to uh, Black children's literature for my students and and decided to, to start to put this together. This is something that really has made an impact on you from even the youngest of mm. age. And so what you're doing is you are not only um, focusing on what children do when they get books and literacy and learning how to read and the passion for reading, but you're just simply talking about access to books. So why do you think that that is and has been, and I think still is, that's why, you know, I applaud organizations um, such as yours. Why is it so difficult and why is the access um, so small at times for children of Black authors? Like, why is that so hard? Why can't we get more books? Sure. And and for me, I, I want to say this, it's bigger than access to books, It's access to literacy and it's access to an acknowledgement of everyone's humanity. And so what do I mean by that? I mean this, one, literacy is bigger than what we may think of as a book. Literacy is how we show up in the world. It's the way that we communicate and interact with each other. And so we suggest in our pedagogical philosophy around the Believe Project that there are six elements to literacy, listening, viewing, speaking or sound, reading, writing, and visual expression. And so there are all kinds of ways in which we sort of facilitate that through dance, through um, speaking, through fine art, through books as well, but literacy is all around us. The beautiful things that we see in the background, um, in your home, in your office, the beautiful flower, that flower tells a story. You chose to put that flower on the shelf, over your shoulder, behind you. All of that is literacy because everything tells a story, right? So that's one thing that all children must have access and knowledge to all children, regardless of race. The second thing is recognizing the humanity in every person. And see what has happened in the way that certain children have been schooled 
is that they have been rendered invisible in that learning process to the point where their humanity has not been acknowledged. And so if text, if a book is the way that the American system has been chosen, has chosen to educate children, and if in that book you never get to see yourself or stories about yourself or stories about people that look like you or stories about people that look like your mom or your aunt or the lady that lives down the street or the person that owns the corner store then essentially your humanity is not being acknowledged. And so there have been centuries, generations of children who have had this experience. And so our project is trying to change that trajectory. We're trying to make sure that that never happens again in the way that children are being schooled in America, that no child should spend eight days in a building and never get to see themselves in a book. It's bigger than just the book. It's about the acknowledgement of humanity. Yeah. So you've been doing this for a long time. Yes. You have been involved in this kind of work. And if you weren't hands-on involved in it, it was in your mind, in your heart, you were thinking about it for years and years and years. Yeah. Have you seen a change in the last five to 10 years? Have you, have you seen this issue of the lack of literacy and the lack of acknowledgement and the lack of all the things that you just spoke about? Are, have you seen a positive change towards a better future in those regards? What I have seen is waves of rhetoric but not actual change. And so there have been waves of rhetoric in education, but more around multiculturalism. And um, I think that there were at times intentionality around multiculturalism to acknowledge everyone's presence in literature and in books, but essentially what happened was as that played out, it basically continued to marginalize those very people that they were trying, they were attempting to mark, to acknowledge. And so you, what typically happened in American education, you would get these special multicultural storybooks but the majority of the curriculum remained the same. Yeah. <laughs> and you got this one multicultural book of stories where you have one Black story, one Latinx story, one Indigenous American story. Well, that's not change. That's not change. And especially if you have a school that primarily serves Black children or Latinx children or indigenous children. So it are, it's in those experiences where we need real change. So no, but 
<laughs> I do think that um, there is more of an openness for it today. I think that um, honestly, after the Ferguson incident that happened in St. Louis, it was almost like the shift happened in our country where the conversation um, began to happen, I think, in all industries. And you started hearing this language around looking at life through this racial equity lens. It happened in corporate America. It happened in education. It happened in politics. Everybody started having these conversations about the racial equity lens. And so it didn't miss the education industry. Um, and I think we're still trying to figure that out. So, yes, I think there is an openness yeah. to it today. Yeah. So you have been quoted in an article that I read mm -hmm. referring to the data um, mm -hmm. around this issue as being nefarious. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk a little bit about the the statistics and the research and the data that has come about in the last several years um, in reference to uh, literature for Black children um, and accessibility to that and um, how, you know, sort of your feelings on that. And what are some of those, what is some of that data? What are some of those statistics? Sure. So um, if we're just looking at the St. Louis metropolitan area, um, and again, um, well, first, let's start here. Um, we know, based on research, and lots of research, lots of research, but let's use the Annie E. Casey Foundation's research, which is a solid research-based organization that's well-respected. And they release an annual report, have been doing it for the last 20 years. It's called the Kids Count report. And they release a report on every state and where they are in terms of education, as well as health and wellness. But their premise is that third grade literacy and reading is a marker. If children are not on or above grade level in reading at the end of third grade, then they tend not to make it to 12th grade, or they tend to struggle in learning from third grade through 12th grade. Some of the reasons for that is because in our American educational system, children learn explicit reading instruction from kindergarten through third grade. That's when they learn those really basic explicit skills in reading. But in fourth grade, the expectation is that you're reading to learn. So if you don't have those solid skills by the end of third grade, and in fourth grade, you're given the book and you're told read, and you can't read, you don't have the skills to read, then there's a problem. So let's establish that. Third grade reading is a marker. So here's the data for the St. Louis metropolitan region. From 2014 to 2019, 75% of all Black children in metropolitan St. Louis annually fail the state-mandated exam in reading at third grade, 75%. Compared to 53% of all third graders in the state of Missouri. Now, 
53% isn't great either, right? <laughs> but 75%, that's seven, more than seven kids out of every 10. If we look at 2021, that percentage raised to 86% of Black third graders in 2021 in Metropolitan St. Louis failed the state-mandated exam in reading. That's pretty nefarious to me because also we know by research that if you're not on grade level by the end of third grade, you have a higher propensity of dropping out of school in sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. We also know that there is a direct link between third grade reading scores and having a thriving adult life. So think about this. If the majority of Black third graders in metropolitan St. Louis are not on third grade reading level, what does that say about the Black community in metropolitan St. Louis? Mm -hmm. What does it say about their future? What does that say about the city of St. Louis? What does that say about the region? What does that say about jobs and commerce and the ability of this region to thrive? So that's what makes it nefarious. It's not just about children. It's about the economy of this region. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's that deep. Yeah, yeah. So if you have this this systematic large right it's not just an issue in the classroom because we have a lot of folks listening that are teachers that work in especially these these districts that you're speaking of and there i i know some of our listeners are are saying to themselves i'm i feel like i'm doing everything i can do for my class of black students or even if it's 90% of Black students or 2% of Black students or whatever, wherever that number may fall in between. I'm doing everything I can. I have, I have uh, children's books that are representative of my Black students. I have a, you know, a whole bookshelf full. We do it all. But it still doesn't seem to be making a difference. And then you have some teachers that are saying, I want to do more. I want to do better. I don't know how to go about doing that. I don't feel like I have the skills you know, to to understand or teach black students because they may be a, a white teacher or a, a Asian teacher or a Hispanic teacher. And so there's that cultural divide as well. And so, you know, I know, you know, and obviously myself coming from an elementary education background and teaching and homeschooling my own kids and being an administrator um, in actually Ferguson, Florissant for 10 years. Um, I get it. I see it. But I often had those thoughts, right? How do I, <laughs> as a white teacher, as a white administrator, know even what to do? And so there are so many barriers and challenges. Where do we start? Like for the people that are listening, that are like, I want to do, I, I agree with everything Julius is saying. Yes, yes, yes. But how do I as a small little person, make a difference? I, I think that that is the million dollar question. And I want to acknowledge that this issue is complex and that there are several civil bullets. There's not one. 
<laughs> so let's right. acknowledge that, that there's not one answer, there are several answers to making this condition better for Black children or children that really struggle. And I believe that the Believe Project is one of those answers, and this is why. Cultural representation and experiences for any group of children is important when it comes to learning. Connecting the cultural experience to what we expect for children to learn in school is a critical connection. The challenge for schools and schooling is we don't like to make those connections. We love to build our own school culture and keep whatever is happening outside of that school culture outside. Don't bring it in. We only want what we create in our culture to be the expectation. But that's really not how we learn, right? Because children are learning all the time. <laughs> they're not learning just when they're in school. They're learning when they're outside of the school. As a matter of fact, most of the learning that they're doing outside of the school, they're learning through their own agency. No one is telling them to learn when they're learning outside of school. But for most Black children, and I'm going to stick to Black children because that's the core of our work. When they get into the school environment, they're told when to learn, how to learn, when to move when not to move, when to speak, when not to speak, when to think, when not to think. So essentially all the things we would want them to do are arrested until we give them the permission to. But outside of that school environment, they don't have those limitations. But for some reason in the school environment, we haven't figured that out yet. So in our Believe Project, we build this space, this one little room in that building of control. And we ask the building to sign a contract to allow that one space to be a yes space for children so that they can have their own agency in learning in that space because that's what children need. They need opportunity to construct their own learning and do what? We say build these three things. That's what we call the intimacy of literacy. Mm -hmm. Interest, confidence, and joy. They must be interested in the learning process. But that's an adult thing. Adults have to create the environment to make it interesting. And so part of making it interesting is ensuring that culture is part of it. Even as a white teacher or a white administrator, you have to want to do it. So when I go and I, when I train administrators and I train teachers, I will choose a black picture book to actually do a read aloud with them. And I train them on how to use their voice to mimic 
what black children might hear in their home. Now, some people may think that's silly. But the fact of the matter is language is socialized at home. And sometimes it's just a matter of making the cultural connections in school. That's all it is, is creating an environment where there's interest. And then when children have constant connections with things where they can see themselves and be themselves, that builds confidence. And I know that you would agree that when the kid walks into your room with confidence, even if they don't have the most ability, they just need the confidence to be willing to learn. Mm -hmm. We can do something with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that all of the points that you're hitting on, you know, and I know that a lot of our listeners are doing this in their mind as well. I'm thinking back on environments and situations that I've been in, whether it was the classroom or just the school building or just a homeschool environment where I'm in a, in a homeschool co-op with other families and other children where um, I may be the parent that's teaching a class at the homeschool you know, group for 20 kids. And so this really is not just, and I want people to really understand this because the way I feel about what you're doing is this is not just a, let's remember this and do this in school. This is in life. Yes. This is in every everything that we do, whether you are walking through your neighborhood or whether you're in the grocery store or whether you're at the bank or whether you're in a meeting or whether you're at a conference or whatever it is that you're doing in your day to day, this is important to live your life in this manner and be aware and be present and be open and be vulnerable Um and not be afraid of those things, right? Not be, not, and I think that's, that's a lot of times where, where this goes sour, right? Especially in classrooms and schools, we're so used to doing, it's always been done this way. Huh? Yeah. And I know yeah. you probably hate that phrase as much as I do. <laughs> I do. And, but we yeah. keep getting the same result. Yeah. The same, and, Which and is really the, the definition of insanity, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And we get the same results because it's easier for the adult and not yes. the kid. Yes. The adults are the ones that they're the ones that benefit. The children are benefiting right. from the experience. They're just, in my opinion, this is a Julius opinion. This is not anybody else's opinion but mine. But I believe that children are being traumatized through yeah. those experiences because we are silencing voice. Yeah, I would agree with you. We're silencing expression. Yeah. And we're stunting their ability to be innovative and creative. Mm -hmm. And I want people to, to I, and I need to say this because I know that you feel the same um, without even having to ask you, there is a difference between fostering and nurturing an environment such as what you, you're speaking of versus just letting children act Indeed. any sort of way yeah. and act foolish and act yeah. out and be a problem. Yes. That is not yeah. at all no. what you are talking about. There yeah. obviously has to be um, a boundary yes. for children to understand yes. situational behaviors and, and those things. So I don't want listeners in their mind, you know, I can, I can just see people right now saying, yes. well, if I just have this environment where my kids can act any old way, it's going to yeah. be a, yeah. You know, that's chaos, right? Chaos, chaotic you know? classroom. Right. 
So I don't, that's not what we're saying. It's not what you're saying at all. And I, and I totally get what you're saying as well. I just wanted to make sure people aren't thinking that it's just, Oh, let's just, we have to allow children to act any way that they want. Um, regardless of how we feel about it. No, no. And there are ways to help children to understand routine. There are ways to help children to understand how they set their own boundaries for their own space, Mm -hmm. you know, and how they self regulate their own space. And this is, these aren't new practices. Actually, these are things we learned in the early childhood of formal education for years. We do this in preschool all the time. How we help children with language, how we help them to understand their own space. But once they get into the big school, it all goes away. It becomes a whole nother experience. So, Mm -hmm. yes, those practices are already solid in research and we can teach them. Yeah. So if folks are Googling you, and I know that they're all going to, they're going to be going to the website, (laughs) um, St. Louis. What is the website? I don't want to misspeak. Sure. It's S. T L Black Authors dot com. And for everybody listening, we will have that link in the description. So don't try to write it down or do anything if you're driving and listening to this. Please, please, please um, tell our listeners what they're going to see um, when they get to that website. What what resources are they going to find? Absolutely. You'll see information about the Believe Projects and our pedagogical philosophy. You'll see the literacy labs that we've already opened. So we have six Believe literacy labs that we've opened so far. We're really excited about. Um, We'll open our seventh one at the Barack Obama School and um, Normandy Schools Collaborative. And that's being sponsored through Nike. So we're especially excited about that. Um, and we'll open our eighth Believe Literacy Lab in November at Frable Literacy Academy in St. Louis Public Schools. And we're excited about that as well. Um, you'll also see on one of our tabs, our list of local authors. And so we work with a core of about 30 local authors and they've all published and we have a catalog of their literature We make sure that our authors visit our literacy labs. Um, They also have opportunities to do different things throughout the city. And so the Missouri History Museum, we always do um, big events there and at other places. We have great partnerships with PBS, 9PBS. and I won't throw uh, kill their thunder, but I probably can say it because I think it's out in the ecosystem now. But PBS is releasing um, the first animated series that have Black protagonists, which is a big, 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 big deal. And uh, the Believe Projects is part of their partnership with that uh, animated series. And all of our kids will be a part of that experience. So you want to know more about that as well. Um, So you'll get some information about that also. In addition, um, in 2020, we produced a children's show through the Believe Project. So you'll get to see a link to um, one of the episodes. So we have four pilot episodes to our Believe Project show. It turned out really, really well. We submitted it to a national competition through Teach for America, and we actually won that competition. So we're really proud of that 
And we're working on four more episodes that we, we will release in the spring of 2023. So those are some of the things you will get to see. You'll also get to see a donate button. So if you'd like to um, donate to our nonprofit, um, you can contribute to our work there as well. And thank you. And I'm glad that you mentioned the new four episodes because... <laughs> I've already watched the other four and I'm like, I need more, which just goes to show you that I don't have young children in my home anymore. Um, but I, you know, as I was telling you before we started recording, I think I even used the word obsessed. Like I watched the first pilot and I was like, oh boy, this is really good. And then I watched the second one and then I watched the third one. And then I, so I've seen all four. So if you get a chance, um, folks, please check out those um, children's programs. They are I mean, they are so delightful and just seeing these precious little kids read with such love and interest and it just warms your heart and it's something that you want to share and you want to show your kids. And I think it, you know, obviously I'm not black, but <laughs> I, I see so much value in seeing just children, right? Mm -hmm. And I know the emphasis is on black children, but seeing children, especially black children, um, have such a love for reading. And you can see that in these shows, you can see the joy um, as they're reading. And so if you if you have a chance, please go watch these these four shows. And I'm glad that you said that there are four more coming out in mm -hmm. 2023, because I'll be looking forward to watching those as well awesome. <laughs> in my free time. Awesome. Awesome. So Julius, thank you so much. I cannot um, tell you enough how impressed I am with the work that you are doing and the, the folks, I know you couldn't do any of this alone. So the team of folks that you work with, the organization that you're working with, the communities, the schools that are partnering with you, the families. Um, I know that, you know, obviously it takes a village and you have a big group and support of folks, not only in your local area of St. Louis, but across the nation. And um, hopefully a lot of our listeners will be joining um, that community of supporters once they've looked more into you. Um, and so I just encourage people to check out um, this organization, see how your school can get connected. You know, if anything, just start thinking about how you can change what you're doing that isn't working for our young Black students that need to learn a love for reading and literacy at an early age. It's so important. So Julius, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. And this is Christy Hool signing off for this episode of the Classroom Matters podcast. And once again, don't forget to check out all of our great resources at the educate.today website.